Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, what do PayPal and Justin Trudeau have in common? They both want to freeze the finances of their political foes. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to you all. This is another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North on this Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. Hope you all had a wonderful, absolutely wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Or as I should say, if we're using the true politically correct lingo right now, I learned this the other day. The Waterloo Region District School Board did not wish people initially a happy Thanksgiving They wish their students, teachers, and family a happy fall long weekend holiday, which is about as benign and bureaucratic, politically correct, corporate woke speak as it gets. Fall long weekend holiday. This is like what they do in the UK, where a lot of their holidays don't even have names. It's like the summer bank holiday, the fall bank holiday, the March bank holiday, or whenever they happen to fall. I I can't remember offhand. But just like Thanksgiving is supposedly too controversial a greeting to wish upon your students and school community. And I was looking it up and it's like in the U.S. I get why Thanksgiving is associated with colonialism and, you know, the pilgrims and all that. And I I, I understand. I don't agree with going down the woke PC road, but I understand it. In a Canadian context, we don't have the pilgrims. And Thanksgiving in Canada, as I understand it, and I did a little bit of research on this before starting the show today has nothing to do with colonialism. It's just about, you know, giving thanks, which in and of itself, I guess, is just too controversial and too hairy a prospect for uh, today's dark and dismal times. So... I will hap- I'm, I'm not even I'm not even like a Thanksgiving lover. I don't even like eating turkey. But now I'm like the I want to just wrap myself in Thanksgiving regalia and be Captain Thanksgiving just because I don't like the Grinches who are trying to steal Thanksgiving. So uh, you can wish people a happy Thanksgiving. You can wish people a Merry Christmas. You can do all of that. And coming up, I may even do an extra greeting for American Thanksgiving in November just to like really drive home the point that I'm not going to let anyone take away holidays. We all need a little holiday every now and then. So uh, that is out of the way now. I've wished you the greeting. I've cancelled myself and uh, rendered myself unemployable by the Waterloo Region District School Board. The big story I wanted to talk about today was PayPal. Now, this is not a distinctly Canadian story, but it very much has a Canadian tie-in that I want to share with you here. And if you missed it, what happened is a few days ago, PayPal said it was going to impose a fine system where its users, so people that sign up to use PayPal, which is this private payment transfer service, uh, it was going to fine them $2,500 if they engaged in what PayPal determined was misinformation misinformation. And they said also other things there like hate speech and hate and all of that. And if you read the actual policy here, it was an update to the user agreement that said any violation would result in liquidated damages of $2,500 taken from your account. And offending behaviors triggering this would be anything that involves the sending, posting, or publication of any messages, content, or materials that in PayPal's sole discretion promote misinformation. So if I post something on my Twitter account, PayPal could say, we're taking $2,500 from your PayPal account. 
And that's even, by the way, saying that it is, in fact, misinformation, which, as we know, is just absolutely fraught these days. And it's one of the most loaded, politicized terms to say something is misinformation. And this is why it's so insidious. And I'll talk about the Canadian political context here in a moment. But PayPal did this and instantly there's just this massive wave of people canceling their PayPal accounts, closing their PayPal accounts. I have a dormant PayPal account, which I suppose I should log on and close myself. I don't have $2,500. Dollars uh, in there for them to take away, but now I'm wondering if I could like start incurring PayPal debt if they just go around and say, "Oh yeah, this guy, uh, yeah, he's been misinforming." So uh, I'm gonna log in and find I have like you know minus twelve thousand five hundred dollars in my PayPal account. So they've backtracked on this and they've said, well, okay, yeah, no, this was misinformation. We didn't mean to. It was accidental. It was no, nothing to see here. So they've actually said that the policy itself didn't exist. They've said there was no policy. It was an accident. So they're not admitting that they got caught. And I could only assume the reason they're not admitting that is because then they would have to find themselves $2,500 for, for misinformation if that was, I guess, actually, no, they'll have to find themselves anyway. Because no matter which way you slice it, this is misinformation on PayPal's part. But it is an example of a company that's being shamed into doing the right thing. But I also think there's a, a tremendous point here where no one should, at this stage, trust PayPal. Because PayPal has already said it does not value free speech. And one of the very founders of PayPal uh, tweeted about this. He said, you know, this is very difficult to see for a company that he helped build go down this road. And, you know, I understand that wholeheartedly. But I want to bring it into the Canadian political context here. Because one thing that we saw earlier this year in the course of the truckers' convoy was how going after people's finances was seen as the silver bullet to going after people themselves. It's called financial deplatforming. And whatever my libertarian bona fides tell me about a big tech censorship, which is that it's a, a terrible thing and something that we should resist in culture, but I, I'm leery to find a government regulation that solves this problem because, you know, you as an individual consumer make a decision to have a Facebook account, have a Twitter account, and, and so on. And we can debate and discuss this, but when we're talking about financial services... And PayPal is a financial service. It's one that you engage with voluntarily, but uh, it's also voluntary in the sense that you may choose to have a TD account or choose to have a CIBC account, but you can't choose to have no banking in this day and age. You can't choose to have no bank account. So financial services are one of those core, core things that you cannot function in this society without. So when all of a sudden your financial service providers are telling you, you know what, we're going to go after you politically. And if you don't believe they will, just take a look at what happened last week to Toby Young. Now, Toby Young is a free speech champion in the United Kingdom. He is the founder of the Daily Skeptic of the Free Speech Union. And PayPal had suspended his account for basically no legitimate reason. And again, they eventually backtracked on this. But how can you ever return from that? If once you know that PayPal has you in its crosshairs and that the very lifeblood of your business or perhaps even your personal finances could be in those crosshairs as well, how could you ever go back to normal? And this is the problem I have when government gets into bed with big tech. 
And this is precisely what's happening in Canada with Bill C-11. It's what's happening with the attempts by the Liberal government to regulate misinformation and hate speech and to force social media companies to basically be subservient to the whims of government on these things. Remember, government wants to just put this malign alliance in place between itself and tech platforms so that if governments say something is hate speech, the tech companies have to delete it. And it's not a big leap to get from there to misinformation, where, again, if the government says something is misinformation, a social media company will have to take it off its platform. And all of this is part and parcel of a trend we're seeing, which is just completely wholesale deplatforming completely trying to purge people's digital existence and doing this in a way that makes it so that the government has the sole authority on whether you get to have a voice or not. And when you talk about these things, it sounds inherently conspiratorial. It sounds like I'm talking about Justin Trudeau sitting in a room saying, well, you know, I, I'm gonna, I don't like that Andrew guy. I'm going to press the button. And then it's like, you know, the old Austin Powers movies where just the floor opens up behind him and just I fall through into the uh, pit of water where the sharks are swirling around and stuff like that. Again, I mean, that's not exactly the power we're talking about here. But we are talking about a government that's trying to make itself all powerful when it comes to who can publish things online. And they can try, as they're doing with C-11, to couch it in terms that sound nice. No, 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 it's not about censorship. It's about Canadian content. We, we want more Canadian content. We want more Canadian YouTubers. We want more Canadian films on Netflix. Okay, fine. Let's focus on getting the market to provide that. And let's accept that we cannot trust government to really be controlling any of the levers of content. Because if government controls any of the levers of content, it's inherently going to go down that road of censorship. And that is a road from which there is no going back. Now, when we've been talking about the measures that the government is putting in on internet regulation in Canada, my focus has been on content because that's typically been where we've seen these things going after. And I totally must admit that I did not imagine the financial connection to these specific bills. But yes, PayPal is a technology company. So what, all, what if all of a sudden the federal government is deciding to uh, put its hate and misinformation policies towards PayPal or towards, I don't know, Interact e-transfers for all I know? And this is the sort of thing that would sound conspiratorial if we hadn't lived through what we lived through in January and February, culminating in the Emergencies Act, in which the federal government did give itself the power to freeze the bank accounts of its political enemies. And that is a point, I mean, that is like a threshold that once you've crossed, you've really surrendered the ability to have anyone give you the benefit of the doubt. No one can give the liberal government the benefit of the doubt that they're not going to use and abuse powers that they give themselves or even powers they haven't yet given themselves but may in the future to do some things that we would find unfathomable even a year ago. And that's where we are at now. So what we're seeing with PayPal has nothing to do with the liberal government. This is PayPal stepping in it 
And incidentally, I should say, everyone was closing their account so much that they started to make it more difficult for people to close their accounts. And I've seen a number of folks that have shared screenshots about this where they've gone through that process of closing and they force them to call. So they're doing like the thing that the phone companies do when you want to cancel your plan and making you talk to a person because they're just like so terrified that they're going to lose a huge chunk of their consumer base or perhaps they think that all of these people are just rubes that can be talked back into it when paypal apologizes and says no 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 we didn't really mean it that wasn't actually the policy nothing to see here and so on so paypal and trudeau are not connected in so far as i can tell but what is relevant right now is the fact that there is this cultural push not just to live and let live and say, yeah, you know what, I believe my stuff, I'm going to do my thing, you do your thing, and, you know, I don't need to agree with you to sell you a product. That's gone. That's dead. If you've decided that someone is the enemy, you are expected to just shut them down however you can. PayPal is not allowed in this woke climate to be a company that has a politically neutral set of values in which they say, yeah, if conservatives want to use our platform, liberals want to use our platform, it's, you know, we just are a service provider, it doesn't really matter. That's no longer allowed. And interestingly enough, I spoke a couple of weeks ago, you may recall, with Tom Kamich at the Canada Strong and Free Regional Networking Conference in Red Deer. And he is putting forward a bill, which, uh, to be honest, is quite relevant to the PayPal situation, a bill that would, if companies go down this road of wokeness, if companies go down the road of being political, of doing something that deviates from their stated purpose... They have to consult their shareholders first. And I want to play a clip of that exchange for you here, just to refresh your memory.
So again, I mean, exactly. And I, I was, as a libertarian, slightly skeptical and still am to, to some extent of what Tom Kimmich is proposing here. And I should point out this bill hasn't yet made it into the draft form. It's still being developed. And I, I saw a very early version of it. But what's happened here is PayPal has proven exactly what it is that Tom Kimmich is trying to go after. He's proven that there is this major thrust this major thrust that exists by companies that ends up putting conservatives in the crosshairs. And I go back to when the January 6th thing happened in 2021 in the United States, which whatever you think of it, we fast forward there and a bigger issue emerged, which was this idea of just going on a technical witch hunt. Twitter did a mass purge of a lot of Republican accounts. Then Parler, which was the safe haven, supposedly the refuge for people who didn't like that Twitter and Facebook had their fingers on the levers of user content, was pulled offline by Amazon Web Services, which is like the largest web host company in Canada and the US and the world now. And what happened then, is Parler is pulled out of the app stores. It's eventually come back, but it's like a shadow of what it once was. And all of a sudden, this idea that we've put forward, people on the right and you know libertarians, this idea that we've put forward that, well, you can just build your own alternative, an idea that I myself have championed. We were forced to confront the impracticality of that because when every single aspect of the chain of production of something can be infiltrated. You can't actually just create your own alternative unless you are just going to completely live in the woods and live off the grid and that's that. Which, trust me, I'm, more and more people are probably allured to that idea of paying cash only. Anyone I know that was involved in the convoy, they only pay for cash right now because they don't want government to freeze their bank accounts again. A government that has already proven it's willing and in many cases, enthusiastic about doing exactly that. So all of this is to say that financial deplatforming is going to be the next frontier. Because if your PayPal account can be taken away or if you could be fined $2,500, it's that the money that you honestly earn is not your own. The money that you honestly earn is not your own anymore. True North, I mean, we're a donor-supported publication, so if you want to support the work we do, please head on over to donate.tnc.news. But we have people that just because of familiarity have said to us, we want to donate by PayPal. And uh, True North has a, a PayPal account, and sometimes people have donated there. I don't know if we still have a PayPal account. Maybe we should be checking, the, uh, uh, checking to make sure we haven't had any $2,500 deductions. And I should say, by the way, I am not admitting that I or True North or anyone I know engages in misinformation. I, I'm talking about how that word pretty much means nothing now. Because misinformation has, like, fascist, it just been co-opted, where it's applied to anything that you don't like. If you don't like it, it's misinformation. If you don't like the person, they're a fascist. If you don't like the person, they're a racist. They're these terms that are applied that I, I think you can say are, are meaningless now because their their true purpose has been abandoned and they've just been replaced by this really muddied water. But at the same time, it, it also does matter because when you're talking about misinformation and hate speech, these terms have very real world consequences. Very real consequences when you start talking about government policies that are put in place ostensibly to respond to these things. 
and to react to these things. And that's exactly what the situation has emerged here with PayPal and, and with the federal government. And all of this is to say that, you know, right now there still has never been any real accountability for the government in Canada freezing those bank accounts. And we have the Public Order Emergency Commission coming up in the next six weeks. It starts on Thursday. So we spoke last week to Keith Wilson, who is one of the lawyers representing uh, people connected to the convoy themselves uh, before that commission. So he and his colleague, Eva Chipiak, are going to be in Ottawa. Actually, I think they're already in Ottawa and will be there for the next six weeks as these hearings get underway. And I have not been called. There, but some people have asked me if, because I wrote the book about the convoy, if I have been called to testify. I have not at this time been called to testify, so I will be just watching it uh, from afar there and not having to worry about uh, being on the stand as it is. But it is going to be fascinating to me because the government is going to have to uh, pony up the evidence, and, and they've had to provide documents to the commission that go into cabinet confidence, which are documents that the government previously didn't want to reveal the existence of, didn't want to talk about, didn't want to address, and it's not yet clear, as I understand, whether the commission Commissioner will publish those documents or whether he'll just review them internally. I think that's going to be a very significant thing to watch out for. But I also want there to be accountability for a number of reasons here. Number one, because what the government did was just plain wrong. Invoking the Emergencies Act, freezing the bank accounts, conscripting tow truck drivers, all of it was wrong at every step of the way. But the second part of this, is that I think there is a vindication that is needed here for the people that supported the convoy that were called by the media, that were called by the government, and were called by a lot of Canadians, insurrectionists, white supremacists, and so on. And I think there needs to be an accounting of how erroneous and fallacious those claims were. And I, maybe I'm being overly naive here. I don't think I am, because I'm generally speaking, if, if nothing, overly cynical. But I have to hope that the truth will eventually come out and that the truth will make its way into the hearts and minds of Canadians who are not dyed-in-the-wool convoy haters, but Canadians who are open-minded, who are, are not convoy-adjacent, they're not convoy-contemptful, but they are Canadians that are willing to listen to the facts and willing to listen to reason. And that was, by the way, that demographic was one of the reasons I wrote my book, The Freedom Convoy, because I felt there were people out there that might be the quiet majority that maybe had some misgivings, maybe had some skepticism, but they were prepared to engage and they were prepared to listen. And, and these were the people that I was trying to go after. I was not trying to convince Justin Trudeau. I wasn't trying to, you know, convince anyone like that. I was trying, I mean, it would be nice. But I was trying to talk to people that could genuinely engage on this issue with an open mind. And there were a lot of very reductive binaries in the convoy that didn't serve anyone well. That, you know, if you lived in Ottawa, you couldn't like this thing. That if you were a member of the convoy protest, you were just this, like, complete anti-science, knuckle-dragging, Neanderthal, all of that. And, and these things that just serve no one except for the government. The, the government was the only beneficiary of these claims because what it did is make it so that anything the government did to respond to this was going to be justified because there was so much anger and contempt. And yes, to use this word again, real misinformation 
whipped up about the convoy protesters, whipped up about the people who were making up this movement, who were just ordinary Canadians. Ordinary Canadians trying to tell the government we've had enough with vaccine mandates. And this is, to be honest, still something that bothers me to no end. The level of classism that we saw in the media coverage of this convoy protest and and by a lot of the Ottawa elites, people that honestly didn't realize how this group of blue collar yokels from Western Canada. And I, I don't say that as a judgment. I'm trying to sort of channel their perception of this, of how this these blue collar yokels managed to bring a G7 capital to its knees. And these people didn't want to admit that they had been defeated. The government didn't want to admit that these people outsmarted them, outfoxed them, outnumbered them, and that they were more passionate than them. And, you know, one of the enduring things that I learned about when I was writing my book, and I think this will come out in the course of the hearings, is that all of the people that were really taking on these core leadership positions, most of them, not all of them, they were people that had lost their jobs because of vaccine mandates. People that had been ex-soldiers, ex-police officers, ex-nurses, ex-firefighters. And they take their skill sets that they had devoted for years to the public good, that the government has said, we no longer want, we no longer care about because you're not vaccinated. And they say, I'm going to devote this same skill set and the time I now have on my hands because of you, Justin Trudeau, and I'm going to devote it to this protest. And that's why you had people like Tom Morazzo, a former army captain that took on such a key logistical role. And you had uh, Tamara Leach. Now, she wasn't someone who had lost her job because of vaccine mandates. But again, very passionate woman that really wanted to make this uh, happen. Chris Barber, who uh, didn't lose his job to vaccine mandates. He was vaccinated himself. But a trucker who said, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to take my truck and take my friends and go to Ottawa. Benjamin Dichter. I'm naming all the people that weren't affected by the vaccine mandate thing, I realized. But I also still think that when you go out one level, a lot of the people that were there were in that category. The firefighters that were volunteering, the former police officer, Daniel Bulford, who was volunteering, Bethan Nodwell. I mean, these names of people, many of them are not even the most prominent figures of this movement. But these names of people that all played a part of this thing that embarrassed the government. And the government does not like to be embarrassed. The government does not want to be embarrassed. The government does not want to admit that it was wrong. The government doesn't want to admit, I mean, even the PayPal, PayPal responded to the controversy by effectively blaming the intern. So PayPal was saying, well, yeah, you know, it's, we didn't really mean it. It wasn't accurate. It wasn't our policy. They didn't want to admit that they actually got it wrong. And the federal government isn't going to admit that either. The federal government is never going to come out and say, you know what, we stepped in it and we're sorry and we shouldn't have done this. And even if they did, I would say too little too late. What are you going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? We've seen courts side with the government throughout most of the pandemic. And while these pandemic-related challenges have not yet made their way up to the Supreme Court, I am not an optimistic person when it comes to the Canadian judiciary. I'm just not. I don't think the federal government is going to uh, find itself slapped on the wrist or slapped anywhere by the Supreme Court because the courts have just been so deferential. They said, well, yeah, yeah, you trampled on civil liberties, but it's a pandemic. So uh, whoopsie. 
But with the commission, there's an opportunity for Canadians to see the raw data, to see the evidence, to hear the testimony, to hear from Justin Trudeau himself. I mean, we already know that the government's core narratives about the convoy have continued to crumble. The government's narratives have absolutely crumbled on this, such as, for example, it was police who asked us for this. It was police who wanted this. Whoop, didn't happen. Anything Marco Mendicino has said has effectively crumbled. And, that's, and I don't think that's all that difficult because I think Marco Mendicino generally just uh, wakes up in the morning and just sort of says the first thing that comes to his mind. But nevertheless, I do think that we are moving towards an era in which truth will eventually come out. And we're going to be watching this on Thursday. True North is going to be covering it. We are going to be uh, watching it every day, and we are going to be having daily recaps. So do head on over to tnc.news if you want to catch those. And I should also say, if you value the work that we're doing and our contribution to the broader stories like these, please do head on over to donate.tnc.news, donate.tnc.news. That does it for me for today. We'll be back tomorrow with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.